This week obviously was a, a very emotional week for a lot of folks and a lot of Christians and even our country as we saw the tragedy that uh, just unfolded there in Sutherland Springs, Texas and just what a, what a terrible, terrible thing that happened there. Uh, for me in particular, I, I felt like it, it hit home especially for, I mean, several reasons. One is, I mean, like you, I go to church, I work at a church, and you see the names, the pictures, it's, you know, one of these victims was the pastor's daughter, you think about those kinds of things, and and you, you think about how, I mean, you know, this just could happen, could happen anywhere. It, it was, it was particularly, you know, it, it hit home because on Thursday I had picked this text, or I had already picked the text of Stephen's martyrdom in Acts chapter 6, the very first martyr of the church, and then, you know, come back at that, that sermon file Monday morning and it just felt like things had, had changed, things that had changed. And in many ways, things had not changed, but it felt like they had changed. You know, and I know that there's a lot of different factors that go into these things. And, and I don't understand it. I don't understand the motives. And, and you know, I, I used to think I wanted to try to understand these things and now I, I realize I don't want to understand. And I hope I, hope I never understand what drives somebody to do something like that. Uh, so, I, you know, a lot of thoughts going around, th- thinking about that, thinking about the church, thinking about the church around the world, and uh, just for, in, you know, just thinking about, again, Stephen's martyrdom and where are we at in that today, and uh, went to Open Doors. It's an advocacy group that uh, checks in on the persecuted church around the world, and they say that today uh, 10 people will die for their faith. As a matter of fact, every day, uh, ten people, ten Christians will give up their life because they believe in Jesus Christ and they worship Jesus Christ in places where it's illegal to worship Jesus Christ. And, and ten Christians will die every day this year. And, and as a matter of fact, we've never lived in a time when Christianity has been more persecuted than it is right now. And yet, you see the pictures of these things online and you look at that and you just... it it hits a little bit closer to home because you now you've got names and you've got a location and you've got you know uh, footage and, and people on CNN talking about all these things and it just you know it it hurts and it surprises us and the more i thought about it the more i thought well you know i don't know how sh- surprised any of us should really be you know jesus he said what did he say he said you know the world hates me and if the world hates me it's going to hate the people that love me. It's going to hate the people that follow me. And so Jesus didn't promise, you know, an easy road for any of us. And yet, as, as I don't know, did a lot of thinking this week, yet as I think about Christianity in America, I think that, you know, we sort of have in our mindset that once we accept Jesus Christ, life gets a little bit easier and the road gets a little bit smoother and and things get to be a little more comfortable. And in many ways, I think we think that Jesus died to save us from suffering. Whereas I think more accurately it's been said that Jesus didn't die to save us from suffering, but he died to teach us how to suffer. And I think there's something to that statement. And as you look through the way that God's people have related to God and the way that God has brought salvation to people, it becomes pretty clear that, that in fact, God doesn't save his people from suffering. He saves his people through suffering. God saves his people through suffering. That's the message of the cross. And it's that message alone that I think has brought more persecution on the church 
than anything else we've said or stood for. This idea that it is through suffering salvation comes. That through suffering, through Jesus Christ going to the cross and, and being falsely accused of, of leading a revolution to overthrow the, the government, and, and, and through Jesus' false accusation, through Jesus' suffering, through Jesus' pain, He purchases our salvation. Through His death, he, he ensures that we can live eternal. And through His resurrection, He validates all of those things, and He opens up the way for us to get there to heaven. It's this message that, that says, by losing you can win that really just sticks in some people's craw it sticks in their minds it sticks in their hearts and it just drives them crazy this idea that i don't have to fight to win that god saves us through suffering not from it this is the message that i think just the world cannot stand to hear because when you lift up Jesus and you lift up that suffering and you lift up this message that you can win through losing, here's what's happening. You are challenging the old establishment of power. That's, that's what it means for us to lift up Jesus. And as we're going through what it means to, to live lives that reflect, that display God's grace, one of the things that's so important to the Christian faith is that we would tell other people about Jesus, that we would lift Jesus up, and that we'd say, this, this is the way to heaven. This is the way to get right with God. This is the way that you have a fulfilling life for eternity. And this is the message that Stephen who we find in Acts chapter 6, one of the first uh, appointed servants of the church, some people call them deacons, he comes and he's proclaiming this message of Jesus, and the world just can't take it. His world just can't take it. Uh, He starts to to, to challenge, you know, the way that we've always done things. And here's the response that we get, is in Acts chapter 6, verse 13 and 14, it says, They, these are the religious authorities, the religious leaders of Stephen's day, they set up false witnesses who said, This man never stopped saying things against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. Now, there's a lot of irony in this accusation because if you go back to the Gospels to, to, to where Luke writes about Jesus' own uh, accusation in his trial, you'll see that this is really, really similar to the same accusations they leveled against Jesus. You know, that he's going to destroy the temple, that he is going to, you know, to change all of these things. And the idea is, that, you know, presumably by force, but, but Jesus never said I was going to destroy the temple. Jesus said, I, you can destroy me. Jesus says, you can kill me. He said, in three days I will raise again. You know, J- Jesus said, I did not come to, to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And what is so ironic about a lot of this, and there's this, the story is full of irony, is that the people who, who put Jesus to death because Jesus says that you can, you can win by losing and that God's going to save us through suffering and not from it. That this Jesus who's there, who's going to be accused of these things, and they're going to put him to death because they don't like that, because they want to hold on to the old order system, the way of violence and of protecting themselves and fighting for their own rights and all these types of things. It's amazing to me that they eventually go to the old system, and they resist with violence, and they fight to protect their own things. And guess what happens? The temple gets destroyed because of the old system. And Jesus, you know, that's not what he's about. That's not what Stephen's about. 
Jesus isn't there to to destroy the law. He's going to fulfill the law. Yes, it will render the law unnecessary, but Jesus isn't out to destroy it. He's out to do what it has always wanted to do, and that is to bring forgiveness to people. You see, the old system, the the old law, the old way of doing things, even our way of doing things, is built on this idea of revenge and retaliation. It's built on doing to others before they have a chance to do to us. You know, the old way was violence. You, You killed animals as a sacrifice to God for your sin. You would even kill each other in a way to make things right. You know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. And Jesus comes and he says, guess what? That's not how we're going to do business in the kingdom of God anymore. He says, here's how this is going to work. He says, I am going to lose once and for all. I am going to be the sacrifice once and for all. In Ephesians chapter 2, you get the sense that Jesus said this. He says, do whatever it is that you want to do to me. Just leave each other alone. That's the old way of doing things. You see, through Christ's surrender to the violence of the old system, he satisfies the law's demands both to God and to each other. And this idea that you can win by losing, it makes a mockery of everybody who's ever fought tooth and nail to claw their way to the top. Because Christianity says, listen, guess what? Christ has done the work that matters. Christ has already done the suffering, and we are saved through the suffering of Christ. The suffering of Christ has put the old system out of business. The temple system was built on this idea that with enough sacrifice, with enough bloodshed, you could even out the spreadsheet between humanity and God. The old judicial system was set up in a way that with enough bloodshed and with enough sacrifice, you could even out the spreadsheet between each other. But Jesus says this. He says, listen, I have made sure that you don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to earn your way to God anymore. You don't have to get even anymore. And yet today, and maybe even some of you, as you hear that, there's the old system still alive and well in our culture, in our hearts, in our minds, in our thinking. And we resist this idea. You know, because today we're told that, you know, revenge, you know, uh, to be afraid. You know, we need to be afraid and we need to avenge ourselves and we need to arm ourselves to the teeth because we've got to fight, whether that's with words or fists or knives or with the gun or by lawyering up. I don't know how you're going to do battle, but we're told to always be ready for this fight. And yet Jesus says this, he says, I've already lost the fight and won it for you through my resurrection. The fight's over. And that message doesn't play well because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make us afraid and it doesn't raise ratings and it doesn't sell guns or alarm systems or, or walls or any of those kinds of things. You, know, you look at even legalistic Christianity and televangelists and even Sharia law in Islam throughout the world, and what does it say? It says you've got to keep working harder and harder and harder so that way you can earn your way to God. And Jesus says, listen, I've already done that. Through my suffering, I have earned your place. God has already accepted you. Listen, I get that we live in an imperfect society. I live here just the same as you do. I've got a family here just the same as you do. In this morning, the sermon's not against common sense, lawyers, gun ownership, a plan, or alarm system. It's not against any of those things. 
But this week, as, as I, I listened to church leaders be interviewed and Christians talk, I was incredibly disheartened. Because here's the thing, as a church, we exist to lift up Jesus Christ. And this week, we've been lifting up a thousand other things. We've been lifting up things that aren't Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, I'm afraid that we've got churches that have more guns in churches than they have Jesus in churches. And that's a problem. Okay, if you've got more of anything in the church than you have of Jesus, then you stop being a church. We've got too many churches that are known for stances on guns and marriage and, and, and politics and whatever else, and they lift all of those things up, and they don't lift up Jesus. Friends, that is a problem. You know, I'm against Christians talking and living like God doesn't exist. It makes me so tired because I hear Christians, they can talk a mile a minute about gun ownership. They can talk a mile a minute about North Korea or football or baseball or hockey or or a mile a minute about the economics or a mile a minute about politics, but they can't say one word about Jesus Christ. They can lift up their politics as a solution to society's evils, but they can't lift up Jesus and say, you know what, I think this is the real solution. Friends, Nobody's died on the cross to save us other than Jesus Christ. And so we've got to stop getting in fights about being red, blue, pro-gun, anti-gun, pro-immigration, anti-immigration. None of these fights are worth suffering for. We are suffering from toxic rhetoric about a thousand different issues instead of lifting up Jesus. Because we are stuck in these places where we're told we should be afraid of things. And I'll tell you what, I don't think those are the things we should be afraid of. I don't think those are the things that we should fight. I've got, I mean, I could come up with a list of, of several things I think that we as Christians should fight and should be prepared to do battle over. Uh, Jesus would be, I mean, yeah, we want to lift up Jesus. Yeah, we'll fight for our right to do that, I suppose. I mean, what about fighting for a marriage, your marriage? You could actually do something about that. You know what's killing more men than, than, than gunmen? Pornography destroying people. Friends, it's time we came back and said, you know what? It's not our job to protect and to be comfortable. It's our job to lift up Jesus Christ because he can actually do something for the world that we live for. He can do something for our kids. The world lifts up other ideas and says God doesn't exist. Do you lift up Jesus in your home so that way your children know that God exists? Now, here's the thing. When you lift up Jesus, you might suffer. That's how this goes. It's just how it is. There is some incredible irony in the text because Stephen has told them, you probably won't find this funny. I find this mildly amusing, kind of in a dark sense of humor. Stephen has told them that through his suffering and death, Jesus has won the fight by losing. And the powers that be said, that's fine. We're going to let you suffer and die also. And, and he wins too. I mean, it's amazing how these things keep happening. Stephen lifts up Jesus and they are going to put him down. But it's through Stephen's speech that we read in Acts chapter 7, and we don't have time to read all this, that Stephen will make an incredibly powerful case that God has always met his people in the midst of suffering. In other words, that God saves his people through suffering, not from it. 
he starts with Abraham. He says, God promised things to Abraham. And one of the things he promised Abraham was that his, his descendants were going to suffer. But that, that was going to be okay because God was going to deliver them through that. Now, we can suffer for a lot of different things. The question is, is what you're suffering for worth it? If it's Jesus, then the answer is yes. But God wants to use the way, the times, and the places that we suffer for him to grow us in our faith. Now, I want to be clear about something here. I believe that God uses our suffering. I do not believe that God causes our suffering. Jesus said that the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's Satan's sort of job. That's what he does. Jesus said, I have come that they would have life, that you would have life, that I would have life. James tells us that God gives every good and perfect gift. And so I believe that God does not send these things. Rather, God uses these things. God does not waste our pain. And when you lift up Jesus, if you suffer for that, God wants to use that. Now, let me give you a few examples that Stephen gives on how God uses our suffering. God sometimes uses our present suffering to provide for the future. He'll tell the story about Joseph from the book of Genesis, the very beginning of Scripture, very, very old story. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, and then he is falsely accused and thrown into jail. And Joseph suffers through his life so that he can be in the right place at the right time. He interprets the Pharaoh's dream. He is elevated to a position where he is then able to literally save the nation of Egypt, and he is also able to save his family. God uses the present suffering of Joseph to provide for the future. Sometimes that's what God does with our suffering. The second thing God does with our suffering, he uses our present suffering to remind us of his future promise. You know, the Israelites, they were there in Egypt. They had moved there because Joseph was there, and they were well-connected politically, and they had good jobs, and they had good land, and things were going really, really well for them until finally what happens is one of the pharaohs comes to power and doesn't know who God is, doesn't know who Joseph is. He becomes afraid of these people, and he enslaves them. And it's only then when they are suffering that they say, you know what? God promised us something better than this. It's only in their suffering do they say, you know what, there's something better waiting for me. When life was good and the economy was good and the jobs were good, they were like, man, we could live here forever. But it's only when things get bad that they go, you know what, God has something better for us waiting. We live in a time where life is so easy and it is so comfortable. And if you push a button that's in your house, Amazon will just deliver to you whatever you need. Seriously, this exists. And we don't have those yet because I'm afraid, I'm afraid of where it's going to lead in my house. So we don't have any of those things. But that it exists. Life is so comfortable. It is so easy. And yet I think sometimes it's suffering that reminds us we were created for more than this. You know, that's why I tell people, always try to find something to be grateful for, whether it's in sickness or even in death. When you are heartbroken, you say to yourself, God, you know what? The reason I'm hurting is because you created me for more than this. Lord Jesus, come quickly, come soon. Sometimes God uses our present suffering to remind us that he's got something better in store. Third thing, God sometimes uses our suffering to show us his presence. Moses 
Uh, he was a baby, and this was at a time when the Pharaoh had issued that all baby boys of the Hebrews should be, should be cast out, should be killed, should be drowned in the river. And his parents just loved him, and they said, no, we've got to hold on to this child. He gets to be bigger, as children do, and he grows, and he, he, they say, we can't keep him here anymore. And so can you imagine being a parent, putting your baby into a floating basket, putting him into the river, and saying, God, please watch over our child. But guess what? In that prayer, in that moment, God meets them there in their present suffering. Sometimes God, in our suffering, uses that as the opportunity to show up when times are the most difficult. And I know so many of your stories, and I know that that's the case for a lot of you. Fourth, God sometimes teaches us when we suffer. Moses, he grows, he is raised in the household of the Pharaoh there, and he knows that he has come from the Hebrew people, and he sees one day an Egyptian taskmaster is just beating two of them up, and, and Moses can't stand this, and so he goes and he fights and he kills this Egyptian, and, and he sort of buries this guy there, and then the next day he finds out that that, that secret is not a secret, and so he has to flee to save his life. And he's suffering there sort of in the desert. Then he ends up being a shepherd. And, and all these things take place. But then God calls him to come back and to lead his people to victory, to lead them to a place that God had promised for centuries. And here's what I take from that story, is that when Moses took matters into his own hands, he became a fugitive. But when God took Moses into his hands, he turned him into a hero. And I think God sometimes uses our suffering to teach us that what we really need is to most surrender things and put them into God's hands. Fifth, here is that God, we just see, saves his people through suffering, not from it. You know, the, the Israelites are there. They are crying out to God. Why are they crying out to God? They're crying out to God because they're suffering. And what happens? God delivers them. God responds to the prayers of his people. And often we don't pray and we don't cry out to God until we suffer. This is If you want your prayer life to get so much better, go through a crisis. It'll get better. It's just how it is. So this is how God uses our suffering. Stephen is then going to give us a short list of how we respond to that suffering. Often we do this, is that we reject suffering in search of an easy fix. You know, God says, listen, I'm going to grow this in you through a time of difficulty in your life. And we reject that in search of an easy fix. I mean, this, friends, is, this is how we're wired. This is why diet pills are on the market, okay? Just being serious with you, okay? Because it's hard work to not eat what you want, and it's hard work to go work out in the gym. But if you could just have this pill and lose weight, wouldn't that be easier? It'd be easier. That's what we want. We want ease. We want things to be easy. You know, we all want humility. Nobody wants to be humiliated. We all want to have, you know, patience in our lives. But nobody wants to have to go, you know, through and endure what it takes to grow that. God sometimes says, you know what, there's no shortcut to this. And yet we're constantly saying, yes, I think there probably is a shortcut often to our own demise. A uh, second way that we sort of respond to suffering is that we try to control God through our own efforts. You know, Stephen is going to make in his speech a, a point how what the Israelites did at one point in their history was they created a temple. And God says, I don't really want a temple. I, I don't need a temple. You know, I, I've lived my whole life, you know, sort of out on, in, in the, the, the wilderness. I've lived in this tent. I've, I've roved around. You can build me a temple, but that's not where you're going to keep me. You know, you can, you can build me a box that will become one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, but that's not where I'm going to stay. 
You know, we try to control God. We try to bargain with God. God, what if I do this? Will you do that? That's how we do these things. And God says, listen, you've just got to endure this because guess what? You're being saved through the suffering, not from it. And, you know, Stephen will also point out this. He says, when we don't like God's message, we kill his prophets. <laughs> it's real easy. He said, you know, that's, there's not a prophet. He said that your ancestors didn't put to death. He said, God sends these messages to you and you reject them. And in another twist of irony, we see that it's the suffering they put on them that, in fact, validates their message. And so the choice is clear. We can lift up Jesus. We can embrace the suffering that may come from that, and we can get on God's side. Or we can reject that suffering. We can try to control things and end up find ourselves fighting God. I think it's a clear choice, although it's a difficult one. But here's the good news, is that when you lift up Jesus... God's Spirit will enable you to remain strong in all situations. I look at this text here in, in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. I see that Stephen is literally surrounded by probably some of the same people that crucified Jesus. He knows what they're about to do. He knows what they're up. He knows what they're capable of. And it says that they looked at him, and it says that his face was like an angel. And then, you know, they said, do you have anything to say for yourself? And his whole message, he just lifts up Jesus. He says, guess what? Jesus has been, this idea that God saves us through suffering, not from it, this has been around from the very beginning. And he gives this beautiful speech. And then they stone him to death. And he says, Lord, don't count these sins against them. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but often I hear stories like this and I put myself in the other person's situation. I'm like, could I respond in that way? Could I do that? Could I react like that? And the answer is, I hope so, but I don't know. I don't know. Luke chapter 12, Jesus said this about it when we suffer for him. He says, when they bring you before synagogues, the rulers and authorities, he says, do not worry about how you're to defend yourselves or what you're to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour, what you ought to say. Jesus says, guess what? When you're in that moment, that's when I show up. He says, not ahead of time, not beforehand. You don't get to have the speech prepared. He says, when you are in that moment, when you've lifted me up, and then you are suffering for it, guess what? He says, that's when I will show up, and that's when I'll meet you. We see that is true in Stephen's life. Stephen is there, and it says that Jesus shows up, and Stephen sees Jesus in a vision right before he passes because when you lift up Jesus, God's Spirit enables you to remain strong in all these situations, even in the midst of suffering, because God saves us through that, not from it. Stephen suffered for being a witness, for sharing the gospel. And it's interesting to me that the word witness in the Greek is actually the word martyr. It's where we get the word martyr from. But the word martyr originally just meant witness. Like, it had no connotation to suffering until the church had been such a witness, and every time they witnessed, they suffered, and every time they witnessed, they suffered, and so many of them died, that today the word martyr for us means somebody who suffers for something they believe in, or just suffers like around Thanksgiving, because that's the kind of person they are, and they come to your house, and they just want to suffer. That's what the words meant today, but originally that word just meant somebody who was a witness, but you see, I think it's fitting that that word became synonymous with one who suffers, because when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you may suffer. And there's a lot of different ways suffering takes form. I mean, it could be discrimination. It could be ridicule. It could be abuse. It could be ex being excluded. It could be you know, being passed over for promotion. It could be being mocked. It could be being beaten. It could mean losing your life. 
And yet the message in the New Testament isn't that we run from lifting up Jesus, it's that we lift up Jesus and God meets us there in that moment. It's that we lift up Jesus and if suffering should come to us, God will meet us there because God saves us from suffering or saves us through suffering, not from it. And so as a church, as a Christian, I want us to be committed to lifting up Jesus Christ and to sharing the message of Jesus Christ, that he has come, that he has given our lives, that he has suffered so that we could be saved. 